Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of Goblin Lore. In this episode, we talk about Krenko, our first actual legendary goblin, and dig into a little bit of his backstory and some of the thematic elements that go into what makes him such a fascinating character. On top of that, we dig into socialism, libertarianism, capitalism, and some big political concepts. It gets a little bit hairy at the end. That's one of the great things that we love about our cast is we all have slightly different beliefs and political ideologies, and yet we still find that way of using our ideals as a way to create equality and value for everybody. Individuals and society as a whole matter to us. So, without any further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome back, Podwalkers. This is another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. This week we are talking about Krenko, the mad mob gob mob boss. I, I, what? I'm going to butcher that phrase so often. But the, the hobgoblin with the mob noblin... I, I don't even know. Krenko... This could be the worst intro we've had. Let's try saying that five <laughs> times fast, though. Seems thematically appropriate when we're talking about an actual goblin. Yeah, that is true. It's the most slapped together. (laughs) Well, and that's kind of the fun part of today is we actually get on brand in this episode, guys. This is the first episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast where we're talking goblins. And and of course it's it's gotta be Krenko. It's gotta be like the OG goblin tribal commander card. But we're not just talking the card, we're talking Krenko, the mob boss from Ravnica himself. We're going to talk about whether he's a good role model, uh, whether he's a cautionary tale. We're going to talk about where his allegiances lie and what we can learn from him. So I'm super pumped. But first, I need you guys to introduce yourselves. And with that, I also want to ask you, which goblin-like quality do you feel best reflects your personality? Uh, let's let's start with Alex. Well, I'm Alex. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Alexander New M. Uh, and and I think uh, maybe a little paradoxically, or maybe counterintuitively, perhaps, uh, goblin ringleader. You no, know, in our, our last episode, we talked about some struggles I've had with social anxiety, but I'm a very I can. Th- still a very outgoing person i love to do things with friends i have now many years on i have lots and lots of different groups of friends that i'm constantly trying to pull into different plans and do stuff and bring people to cons and the gp and everything so i think goblin ringleader is, is a good fit for me actually okay well i'm i'm hobbs q i'm at hobbs q on twitter.com and i'm really st- st- stuck between two of these so my first instinct is to go Mog Fanatic. And I just feel so bad for Mog Fanatic because of how badly Mog Fanatic ends up getting hosed by the changing of removing the stack. Um, so if people don't know, the, the whole point of Mog Fanatic was Mog Fanatic would absorb a point of damage and then would sacrifice itself in order to get in another point of damage somewhere, um, which is greatly hit by his... Um, he's, the, the artwork is basically him with holding a powder keg <laughs> and the flavor text says, I got it, I got it, I... and cuts off. <laughs> now, I, I think that this is so apropos for a goblin. And actually, the, the flavor text I'm going to come back to in a second because it ties in with what my other choice was. But Mog Fanatic, I also feel bad for because Mog Fanatic got screwed 
by changing and taking away the stack. And, and to me, this actually was not intuitive from a flavor standpoint. So if people don't know, the stack used to allow you to do things like let damage be assigned, and then you could do effects after that. Mog Fanatic is one of the classic creatures that is known for using that ability. But to me, from a flavor standpoint, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because if you think about a Fanatic, a Fanatic can take lethal damage and is not going to just die. As a bonus, my other choice, relatedly, was Goblin Sky Raider, um, <laughs> which was first in Onslaught and has been reprinted. And it is also for the uh, flavor text and for the fact that it is a 1-2 flying goblin. He's got a Leonardo da Vinci-style apparatus on his back. And the flavor text says the goblin word for flying is more accurately translated as falling slowly. <laughs> it's the Buzz Lightyear of goblins. I love it. Yes, exactly. Well, with that, I am Joe. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D horn. And I like to think of myself as a goat napper. And um, <laughs> I love this card for so many reasons. Um, so for those who don't know, Goatnapper is a 2-2 goblin rogue from Lorwyn. When Goatnapper comes into play, untap target goat and gain control of it until end of turn. It gains haste until end of turn. So it's a, it's a threatened effect for goats specifically. Now, I want to ask you guys, when this card was printed... How many cards in Magic the Gathering referenced goats? Uh, Springjack Pasture? Was that out yet? Oh, I'm sorry. It was not. Incorrect. Uh, I'm going to guess Mountain Goat from Ice Age and maybe nothing else that is goat specific. Though, to go all Melvin on you, there were a lot of goats in the Lorwyn block in the form yeah. of changelings. I was just going to go there, too. <laughs> Yeah. Nice. That's why I love you, Alex. <laughs> nice. Yes, there were changelings, so you could steal changelings. However, you're right. There was Mountain Goat. There was Crested Craghorn. There was Colos Yearling, Battering Craghorn, um, Wild Colos. And then if you played with somebody who had uh, any of the portal cards, you had Zodiac Goat. So, no, you had like five cards what like one one card that referenced a goat even in standard at that time it was the most useless card and it's perfect so if you wanted somebody to marshal all of those goblin b squad jv into a ragtag you know fighting force which goblin would you turn to oh i don't know you know i think krenko might be a good uh, a good choice to lead lead such a squad. We're gonna talk about Krenko, the Goblin mob boss on Ravnica. He's he is really like he starts off as this gutter snipe, unaffiliated with a guild, and eventually grows to become the head of a criminal you know syndicate on Ravnica. Like, and yeah, they're not nearly as like sneaky as the Demir or organized as the Boros or even maybe as like explodey destructive as the Rakdos, but they do some good stuff. Well, Krenko, what can we say that hasn't already been said many times about Krenko? Krenko literally walked into like an Azorius stronghold and just like, didn't he just like grab Feather 
Oh, yeah, the Boros. He walked into Sunhome, the Boros stronghold. So the first story that we really get introducing us to Cranko is called Cranko Mob Boss, and it was posted on the mothership on magic.wizards.com, and that'll be linked in our show notes here. Um, but Cranko is sitting down to a meal with a an odd sort of looking fellow whose skin doesn't fit too well on his body, apparently, named Mr. Taz. Uh, what we don't find out in this story, but we learn later through the stories, is this is Lazav, the Demir uh, shapeshifter and the head of the guild. Um, and Mr. Taz is giving him this job to uh, case Sunhome, the Boros, you know, the red-white aligned uh, soldier and angel, uh, the the Boros guild. Uh, guild hall sort of their their fortress basically they're like the combination between the police force and the military right like they're not they're not just some local constabulary this is this is serious law enforcement business right they are yeah and they're a real deal when it comes to fighting and and so you'd think that security at sunhome would be a lot better but Cranko strolls on in like for a while. He's sitting on top of some roofs and like watching people through a telescope. And he's like, nah, this sucks. I'm going to go in. And so the next day he goes in, walks into the mess hall, sits down and helps himself to some free, you know, whatever, some eggs. And I think it says like duck eggs or, you know, all sorts of all sorts of stuff. And uh, he just starts listening and, and realizes all the tension that's going on. This is a way to introduce the conflict for the return to Ravnica story. But Cranko is just like, you know, loving the fact that there is all this tension around him because he's like, oh yeah, yep, one little push and this whole powder keg goes off. And so I I have to read this bit here. This is one of the funniest things to, one of the funniest lines in the Cranko story. Uh, Chaos is the best cover, and Cranko went about setting fires and kicking down doors. Floor one, an incendiary rumor in a willing ear. Floor two, punch yesterday's pompous goblin on his fat nose. Floor three, spark bombs. Floor four, actual bombs. I mean, what we have to realize is what's funny about this, like like Alex said, this isn't just your constabulary. This is the Boros, right? This is a garrison. They're not too bright. I am fairly certain they're sort of racist and just assume that Cranko is really a Legion loyalist. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just like, well, it's a goblin. It's here. It probably belongs here. I don't really care about it or notice it. Right. And we will get into that later on, too, when we talk about the real world impact. But, yeah, that's important to note is that they don't care. They th- I think they assume that Well, and it says he joined a goblin maintenance crew. So that's maybe part of his cover. But nobody thinks twice about like, maybe we should see some ID from you. And so the point of this story is that Cranko gets to the top floor of Sunhome and gets to the private chambers of Feather, who is the angel, if you remember the Ravnica story, is the angel that was Agris Kos, the protagonist of that story, uh, Agris Kos's partner on the beat. And um, Feather has now ascended to being the guildmaster of the Boros. Uh, but there is some sort of infighting going on. Another angel says that a fallen angel, a disgraced angel, should never be uh, allowed to be the guildmaster, and so there's all this tension and blah, blah, blah. And 
really like Cranko just basically takes a glowy shiv that that Lazav gave him and like breaks the detention sphere that that feathers in and says that she was attacking him and then he runs out in the chaos and then an explosion blows a hole in the side of the building. So I think my favorite part of the MTG like the Gamepedia wiki on this Feather was freed during a secretive raid performed by Cranko. I think we're giving him a lot of credit for being secretive here. Yeah, he he like grabbed a janitor's uniform, threw it on, and then that was that. That's the se- amount of secretitude. And then, and then started setting explosives. Right. right. Like calling <laughs> giant mean, attention and then saw something shiny and broke it open. Even for a goblin, that's not really secretive. Like the first floor, like rumors, okay, that's like subtle goblin stuff. Punching a goblin, that could kind of be subtle if he punches, walks away, and like that starts a fight behind him. But setting off bombs? And so it's important to note that this is basically like Krenko's origin story. He's a young goblin at the time. Like this is this is kind of his like make it big moment. You know, this is when he starts to get you know, prove his worth to the Demir and start to get hired for other jobs. Um, it's also important to note that he's not a member of the Demir. He is brought in by the Demir to basically do the jobs that they don't want to do and, and get their own hands dirty. I love that they actually call this not a knife. It's an enchanted shiv. Yeah, there's a lot of power and a lot of magic and a lot of even just political power wrapped up in the guild structure. So the people who aren't part of that structure have very little power. They have very little agency. And so a big part of Krenko is that he is part of this guildless group that is kind of taking their agency back. We actually see this, too, become kind of him in some ways being made if we really want to stick with this mafia kind of language. He he kind of in some ways is his first successful huge mission where he's going to start bringing power to him among these unaffiliated to the point where he is developing organized crime. He is pulling all of this unorganized, unaffiliated goblins, these these people that we would think of as like this chaos of goblins, because that's what we generally think of with chaos and what we see mainly with chaos, with goblins. And he's actually organizing them. I think it would be great also if that was the like term for a group of goblins, a chaos of goblins. <laughs> I mean, that's canon. I would also like to call attention to the fact that in the art for Cranko Mob Boss, you can see in the back alley behind him the two goblins that are on the card Cranko's Command. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, just as a little little flavor note there for you, believe both of those cards were, in fact, yes, they were done by Carl Kapinski. Shout out to the homie. So that is actually a perfect transition as we discuss the guildless to talk about the other story that we see Krenko in on the Magic Mothership again. We see him show up in Limits. Uh, Limits was published in 2015. I will link this again in the show notes. And it's talking about the trials that Gideon is going through, Gideon the Planeswalker, as he bounces back and forth between Zendikar and and Ravnica trying to stop the Eldrazi threat on Zendikar and trying to protect the innocent civilians of Zendikar. We referenced this a little bit, and and specifically Michelle Rapp referenced this in her article on Gideon and Trauma. This is that point where he starts to wear down, get sloppy, all that sort of stuff, because he's just, you know, grinding himself to the ground. But, but... 
This isn't a Gideon podcast. This is a Crankocast. So Cranko comes in because he is the one stirring up all the crap on Ravnica. Uh, you know, there is basically a goblin gang war happening between Cranko's mob and the Shattergang brothers. It's consuming the entire Foundry Street, Tin Street, the whole goblin district. The, the way that this goes down is... Dargig, a goblin black market weapons runner, the youngest of the Shattergang brothers, was found stabbed in an alley off of Tin Street, and word had spread that Cranko did the deed himself when a weapons drop went bad. So, you know, organized crime, they have their they have their rules, they have their, you know, they need to work together. It's not like mobs don't ever communicate, but when one of them pushes the other, things go a little bit awry. And so Cranko, being a goblin of, of honor, question mark, uh, you know, took his took his vengeance on one of the Shattergang brothers. Well, there are obviously two remaining Shattergang brothers, and those two, along with the rest of the mob, decided to set off uh, a series of explosions across the district, blowing up Cranko's warehouses. Uh, basically, now... It is full-on goblin war in the streets, and, you know, many of these people, and I think this goes under-appreciated, under-noticed when we're talking about the story of Ravnica, is that many of the people of Ravnica are non-guild-affiliated. Many people are just living their lives on Ravnica doing their thing. These people are all caught in the blowback between these two you know, war between these two warring factions. And so Gideon tries to step in and, you know, put a stop to this. He tries to apprehend the Shattergangs. He eventually does apprehend Krenko. He's the only character in Magic Cannon so far to have made Gideon bleed. That's pretty impressive. And, well, if you, in, in the story, too, uh, he brings Krenko in, right? Right. And tells people. And then Krenko's like, I got him twice. Yep. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's it's kind of this great thing where where Gideon brings him into the Boros again. They're the law enforcement and and uh, welcome back, buddy. Right, have fun. <laughs> and, like he's, I've been here. This place looks familiar. The sun home is nice. Right, and he's just grinning. He's just having a great time. And a Shatter Gang message drops in. It looks like one of their classic bombs. You know, they have a very distinctive way of making their bombs these vials with these metal bands around them it turns out to just be a message that says basically turn Cranko over to the shatter gangs for our retribution or the entire boros will now be liable so now now that street war of the guildless has spread to affect a guild and now the guilds step in and that's an important note that we're going to talk about in a minute the last bit here that i really want to note that I, I love this about Cranko's character is decision time, Cranko taunted. Get him out of there, Dars barked. I want him behind bars. You see, Jura, Cranko said as soldiers dragged him away. The Boros won't turn me into the Shatter Gang brothers. What now? And so he's a little bit of this, like, he's playing as many sides as he can, even when he's apprehended. He is very much, like, set himself in this non-affiliated, you know, full neutral place i mean he's chaotic for sure but he set himself i think he's less chaotic if we were to put him in D terms he's less chaotic than yet than the average goblin i would say that he is more neutral neutral i mean it's you, you can't really be a boss in some ways if you're too chaotic and i mean we're going to get into this i think a little bit when we bring this to 
history or the real world. Gideon, who has been set up in multiple stories to just be shown as as one of the multiverse's biggest badasses, he may not have like great gobs of magic powder throw around, but Gideon doesn't get hurt. He can just stand up to anything and is tenacious. And we see like a goblin kind of getting the better of him, despite the fact that the goblin is the one who was arrested. And right. there's there's just something compelling about the the character specifically generally set up as villains, but there's something compelling about that character who gets caught and is arrested and seems to be, you know, out of play and yet the whole time they're just acting like, Yep, this is all part of my plan. It's I don't know, there there's there's something compelling there. Right, and that's one thing that that the stories show us and, you know, his description on the mothership tells us too is he's extremely charismatic, dangerously so. Uh, I think it's actually his flavor text on his card that says this as well. He displays a perverse charisma fueled by avarice, highly dangerous, recommend civil sanctions. And that's a quote by an Azorius bureaucrat, essentially. Um... And so that's actually a really good transition point for us into our real world talk. Uh, I want to turn this over to you guys here since I talked most of the lore st- background, but where does Krenko fit into our real world understanding? He's this charismatic mob boss. He is this, you know, perversely violent, you know, he, he really enjoys violence. Like that's, that is very clear, but he's not chaotic. He's not stupid. He's not you know, he's not somebody that people don't want to follow. He's not a loner. He is a leader. I mean, he's charismatic. I mean, that's where we're starting off with here, right? I mean, for a goblin, especially, which we generally think of as being depicted as ugly from a typical beauty standard, that we do not think of as being the attractive heroes. He has charisma. I mean, he has that ability to what we said. He didn't get questioned basically walking into a garrison. He, he he walked in, he, he was able to look like he belonged, and then he starts just doing violence. And, you know, there's there's something to be said for being drawn to that, even if it's talking about something to do with sociopathy or psychopathy, which is really what we're talking about when we're talking about a sociopath or, or antisocial personality disorder, that... One of the things about that, so for kind of bringing it to the psychology world for a second here, antisocial personality disorder is really characterized by kind of this pervasive ability to not really be able to tell the difference between right and wrong or care um, and kind of really be self-serving and self-centered. And where it's been studied less rigorously, the idea of sociopathy is really what we think of when we see most movies. It is the person who can function in a social crowd so you know let's think of something like american psycho technically if anybody's ever seen that you know it's the christian bale character he's still very charismatic versus dexter who has trouble blending in doesn't really fit in um because he is more of a closer what we think of as kind of being the anti-social personality like that's the typical what i would think of in a clinical sense versus in the media we really are enamored with this idea of the sociopath Somebody that can appear charming and then is going to kill you. And so we're actually kind of seeing that with Krenko here, 
with his also, you know, for both of these, even when we're talking about antisocial personality, another key hallmark is this kind of inability to control your impulses. Like even in situations where it would probably be smart to do it, it's how most serial killers end up getting caught is they believe that they truly are smarter and they eventually do something that gets them caught. And that's sort of what we see here too is he does get caught. We don't we don't know exactly how he got caught. Um you know the story doesn't cover that in limits, but he gets brought in and something, you know, something about that trips him up. And that is is interesting too because looking from a sort of color pie standpoint in in magic, you know, the the underlying philosophies of the different colors a lot of times Red gets glossed over as just the violence and things, but but be, the the impulsiveness is an, is is a big part of that. The person, you know, a piece of red philosophy is just you should do what makes you happy, and you shouldn't control. You shouldn't have to hamper what you want to do just to get along with other people. And it's it, I'm really I really like when Wizards is able to sort of show something. Where you have like cathartic reunion in red from Kaladesh, where Chandra is is reuniting with her mom for the first time in years and years. That is a very red thing that isn't tied to violence. And so it's interesting that Krenko has some piece of that. Well, I think it shows too that you know red is not the absence of intelligence. What we're seeing here in a red character that is a legend and is very popular among red EDH or commander players for this reason is actually a very intelligent goblin who also still cannot inhibit those red ability. Kind of thinking about this in the real world. Are we looking at a true mafioso here? Or are we looking at something more akin to the Joker from Batman? Yeah, is he is he the Ravnica goblin version of Al Capone? For a long time, I don't and again, I don't think people know this uh so much about the history here with Al Capone, but back in the day when he was, you know, involved in the rum running and like, you know, all the bank robberies and all that sort of stuff, he was sort of seen as this folk hero. Like he was romanticized as like this as this Robin Hood-esque sort of guy, even though he never like stole from the rich and gave to the poor, he just stole from other people to make himself rich but he was he was seen as this this outlaw this this dangerous badass and he was frankly violent and and awful i mean we also saw it in the in the later in the 20th century with john Gotti. i mean he was called the teflon don i mean that's where that nickname comes from because they couldn't make anything stick to him until he actually had somebody basically rat on him that went into witness protection and he, this guy was known. I mean, it was the same thing. Everybody knew who he was and what he was doing. But he was out in New York City at fancy restaurants being photographed. I mean, there really was an obsession with him. Yeah, so there's there are these cult of personalities around these guys that, you know, I think that does get, get a little bit towards the charisma of Krenko. Um, you know, it sort of has that organized crime element, too. Um but we also do see some of those qualities in the Joker as well, right? Well, I think that's where we're kind of talking to once we really get more into the chaos and the impulse control. There's some similarities in the highly intelligent, even when he appears to be caught, his there, he still has things going on. But I think there's also some differences there in, in the character. And some of that I, I think 
lends towards some of Krenko's redness. I mean, and, and characters are not necessarily just one note, too. It's also a, a fairly common, like, black thing that while you're, you care about yourself, you can also kind of care about your group. I mean, that's how, like, black-white tends to work. They're very focused on their group. And they don't care about any other groups. I guess the problem is we don't have enough, in my opinion, yet. I mean, I would, in some ways, maybe when we return to Ravnica, we will get to see more of Kranko. Because the question is, does he really care about them or not? I mean, we 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 know that he's organized them, but is that to get to his end that he needs or what he yeah. wants? Yeah, it's a fair question. We don't have a ton of info on it. We don't have a ton of things to, to tell us um i mean because i'm like the because if we're gonna if we're gonna jump in and think a little bit more i'm coming back to the joker piece if we're going with the version let's say of heath ledger which is actually a very well written version um it brings in a lot of the elements of the comic book that are actually really key to him but we see him in heists with his gang we don't see Krenko in heists or in his missions really with his gang we only see him doing those kind of more that alone type of thing, like when he goes into Sun Home. We're dropped in the middle of their story, and we don't... I, I'm the type of person that we don't always need an origin story, especially with some of this more... We don't know somebody's motivations, and they seem kind of chaotic. The lack of an origin story is actually works a lot better. What we know about him is that he came from being a guildless goblin who lived out of the gutters, and try saying that five times fast, but... You know, and, and got his first big break by being a hired thug for the Demir, not as a part of the Demir again, but, you know, hired out freelancing for them. And that's kind of it. Like, it, it also sort of lends me a little bit to, I think we've talked about this off air, sort of a, a little bit in the way of a, you know, Last Jedi sort of thing, where maybe it doesn't matter where he came from, because where he is now is who he is. And that's that's kind of that cool thing of of at this point in the story this is what he is and what he does. And he's, you know, I like I like that he's almost this force of nature in the same way that Heath Ledger's Joker was. We don't know what drives him other than greed, other than, you know, the desire for violence. But what does he do with the the greed? What does he do with the power? What does he do with the the things he gets once he has them? That's that's fascinating. So, Alex, kind of coming back to what you were saying a little bit with the, you know, the the mono red kind of qualities of him, but his ability to kind of have that, in some ways, what we think we don't know. We maybe we're going to learn more about this. The love of his, his kind, maybe whether that's the guildless or, or or specific other goblins, the the goblins that he is the boss of. I mean, are you? I mean, do we see him shifting colors? but remaining guildless, which would be a very interesting thing in terms of Ravnica. Uh, I, I think that could be interesting. You don't have to be in other colors to care for other people. And so it would be interesting to see Krenko develop and to go into another color and, and to develop that way as a character. But kind of the other mind, it you also don't have to shift him into another color to continue to develop him. You can continue to develop his character, keeping him in that mono-red space. Um, this, I throw this in here because this is, it, it sounds like, and we don't have a whole lot of him talking to other goblins. And so this is kind of, it sounds like a little speech that he's giving. Um, so he says, we won't sit like lazy gobslugs waiting for death to come to us. We'll bring death, shiny, sharp, 
to our enemies. It seems like he really does have a group that he is working with. I, I think it would be interesting to see that develop, whether they decide to pull him into another color or not. I do hope that there's some development of his character because it's uh, in, in the world of guilds, which are also really cool and fun to develop. It's nice to see that other side of the world. And, and so I'm, I guess maybe, like I said, it doesn't need to be him, but this idea of color aligned guildless. I mean, or just like multicolored guildless. Now that we're returning to Ravnica for the third time. Yeah. And we've already been so inundated with guilds. Like, what is the result of this? Do we have people that are, are, are these colors that just are because that's who they are, not because they belong to guilds? The guildless, so like you're saying, this is their third time to Ravnica, and it's been a little while, but I don't recall there being much guildless in the first Ravnica. It was about the guilds. And then the Nephilim, just in case people didn't care for the guilds, but that was weird and something different. Um, it wasn't really until the second Ravnica block where we had that idea of, where they at least introduced it in the cards and the story, where there was, here are the guilds, and then here are the other people that aren't part of that system, that don't get the benefits of that system, and are kind of being taken advantage of by this system. I mean, and what's funny, too, is in, I mean, if we want to go as far as the actual card frame, we get our watermarks. We get cards being very easily to tell just by looking at a monocolored card. Are you part of a guild or not? We get to see not only a character who works and operates outside of the guild system, we get to see how the guild system treats the other citizens. And it says verbatim in the Limits story that the gilded people basically didn't care about the street wars that were happening as long as they didn't stray into gilded territory. As long as it didn't affect them behind their gates, they were fine. They were willing to let all these goblins kill each other and kill themselves without, you know, any sort of impact on their lives. There's a, a card from Gatecrash, and I love this flavor text, and I didn't see this pay off in the stories too much. Uribis Protector. U-R-B-I-S Protector. Um... It's a 1-1 one, one for 6, but you get a 4-4 four, four angel when you play them. But I love this. This flavor text is, is actually a quote from two guild leaders, uh, Tesa of the Orzov talking to Lazav of the uh, the Demir. says, I hear that Boros is losing its angels to the gateless movement. I'm sure this comes as no surprise to you. And like that little piece of world building was so interesting to me, the whole idea that you have this movement outside of the guilds counter you know trying to be like a counter to the guilds and it makes a lot of sense when you look at what the guilds were doing like you're saying like there's all these street wars going on and the guilds didn't care even boros who's the guild that is the peacekeepers they should be the ones caring didn't matter them until gilded territory was was affected right no i love that i love that too that it's it's guildless movement it's not just people who've been sort of left aside and and you know that the guilds didn't choose them there are people choosing to leave the guilds that's mm -hmm. fascinating well and in this like the angels but my understanding like they're constructs they are basically built to fulfill purposes and the fact that angels are choosing to leave this guild that they've been serving presumably as part of their purpose they're like no you know what i'm gonna go help these guys over here because this fulfills my purpose better 
is really interesting. There's this element of Ravnica that lives outside of the system that not only we as the story readers and the game players understand as the main point of Ravnica, it's it's the, you know, when Ravnica is the city of guilds. It's a city plane mm-hmm. made by guilds, sustained by guilds. It's That's the whole branding. And so that does get us to an interesting discussion point here. How do we understand that in society, this, this sort of, in a real world society, this sort of like left outness? There's something different between people not being allowed to participate in the system and people being ousted or choosing to leave the system. To me, you know, I'll speak freely about my political beliefs here for sure is like I, I'm a socialist by my, you know, understanding and, and we can get into a longer discussion. If anyone wants to engage with me on Twitter about that, know what exactly I mean by that, we can do that. But basically, I believe that it's the system's job to provide, you know, a, a baseline for everybody to live at. And I think that's what the Guild Pact was originally supposed to do, you know, ensure a baseline of civility. And, and it was supposed to instill these ten organizations into specific niches to create this uh, fabric for society. But now you have this group of people who have either been left out of the system or chose to leave the system or have been forced out of the system who aren't represented by the Guild Pact. And even after, when we return to Ravnica, the Guild Pact is done. Jace is the living Guild Pact, but the magic of the original Guild Pact is gone. So this whole thing to me is this this push and pull between, between what the purpose of a system is. And I think that's cool to think about, you know, especially in our world today, where we're wrestling with, I mean, frankly, as Americans, we're wrestling with a lot of that same stuff. What is the purpose of the system? What is the purpose of each of us in the system? You know, is our duty to be uh, a neighbor and a fellow citizen first, or is it to be our own citizen first? You know, and and that's a big question. I don't know that I have an answer on on what it is, uh, but no, it's I fascinating. Don't. That's that's a that's a thing that I've I've kind of been wrestling with a lot a lot myself, um, thinking about what is the role of you know the society and and what should it be providing and you know there's there's the idea for for a while I, I kind of considered myself a libertarian and now I think unfortunately there's a lot of people who like to use that term to defend think beliefs that aren't really defendable but um the concept that appealed to me was the idea that people should generally be left to their own devices that a person and this actually is interesting you talk about color ply philosophies this is kind of a black philosophy that each person knows best how to take care of themselves so each person should be empowered to take care of themselves because they're in the best position to do it and that idea is it's not necessarily rejected but it's still now looking at a lot of other realities of actual reality and things that happen in societies and things that are going on it's like that's a great ideal but i don't know how practical of an ideal it is generally people should be able to do what they want but at the extreme that's saying well government can't this and that but the whole point of having a society the whole point of having a government is to create a fabric in which people can live so it's it's where 
does that fabric get a say because it's what's best? And where do the individuals get a say? Because again, they're the ones who can choose best for themselves. Too, I think it's interesting that we see we see a system fail the guildless people here because the Boros shouldn't be just the defenders of the gilded. You know, I, I, that's that's never stated. To my understanding, that's never that's never stated is that the Boros are the military or the, you know, the police force, the protectors of just those who are affiliated with one of the 10 guilds. It's the it's the backbone of society trying to help keep everyone safe. And so, you know, again, we look at the the reflections of that. We see far too often that that people get left out. And that people do, like you said, that fabric gets frayed, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the message from this, and I think that's interesting, is the message of, of Cranko is, you know, when that fabric frays, crime thrives, you know? It's, it's, not, it's not just a, I don't think this is just a law and order story. I think this is frankly like a, you know, no, if you're not looking out for everybody then somebody gets exploited. Kind of jumping in here, it does seem like when I was, I, I will admit, when I was much younger, I, I definitely adhered a lot more to kind of libertarian ideals. Um, I liked the idea of it because I didn't like the idea of people being told what they could and couldn't do. And to me, I think it was my initial phase of trying to reconcile my social beliefs with some of my more conservative fiscal beliefs, um, especially when it came to things like I mean, I grew up in a blue-collar family, and I really didn't like the idea of taxes and felt that that was pretty shit. And I grew up in an environment where the Second Amendment was held as, like, this really unalienable right in some ways. And so I'm like, well, yeah, sure, people can have guns, but also then you can marry whoever you want, and I just don't care. And I've learned – I think that part of that, for me at least, was through a lens for me of privilege because I didn't have to pay attention in some ways to – what I guess we could say is the the guildless. It means that somebody eventually is going to get exploited. Ultimately, one of the things that I have learned that has maybe put me into the area of confusion—not confusion so much as as questioning. Questioning. That's a beautiful word for it, and which I think is a great place to be because that means you're a little more open to all the things that you don't know and understand yet. Is the fact that things are a lot more complex, and so having this one little byline is really fun and and quippy, but it's not really practical when you start to look at the real world. And I think talking about the difference between freedom and anarchy is a good way to illustrate that. Is that freedom, like you're saying, is the ability to make choices, and sometimes you need to have a structure to limit certain choices to make you free to choose other choices. I mean, you run into the fact of that at some point, uh, and to me, this is where I've kind of understood the distinction between them. Like, freedom only works if everybody has the ability to have it. Anarchy would say you're literally free to do anything, which could then impinge on somebody else's freedom that's a that's a really clear way of saying that quality i think of you know that's that's the civil society idea that's the fabric of society that that you know coexistence piece is if i can't exist as a result of your freedom then i'm not free and in that way is it really true freedom across the board who we got heady here yeah. So, how, how do we outro to transition to the outro from here? <laughs> like, I was like, can speaking we of freedom, and, 
Yeah. Of freedom and anarchy. We'll see you all at GP Minneapolis. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. That's our show. Thank you all for listening. You can find the podcast at Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter. You can find Joe Redman at Findhorn. That's F-Y-N-D Horn. You can find Hobbs Q at Hobbs Q. And you can find Alex at Alexander New M. You can email the pod any questions, comments, or concerns you have at goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. The guys will be at GP Minneapolis this coming weekend. That's July 27th through the 29th, and we'll be helping to host a series of events. Follow their Twitter feeds. Any information? Thank you all for listening, and remember, inspiration comes in all shapes and sizes. <laughs>